Romans chapter 12. Are you guys there? Romans chapter 12. So we've been going through the book of Hebrews on Sunday mornings, but also this year we've been doing a, a thematic series on the fourth Sunday, on Bring and Share Sunday, called Growing in Love. Uh, and if you've been here, you know that we've been talking about love being sort of the measurement of our growth. Last year, 2015, we grew numerically. We had more people become, uh, come to the church. We had uh, the most baptisms we've had uh, in a year. Uh, even the finances grew more than they had grown previously. So all these things, you know, uh, the finances mainly for a building project. So all these things growing in bodies and baptisms and buildings, you could say, yeah, Servants Church has grown. And we really talked about that. As glorious those things are, and as much as we want to give God credit for those things, What's really the measure, what we want to be the measure of our growth is love. We want to measure the growth by do we love God more now than we did before? Do we love other people more now than we did before? Do we love the truth more now than we did before? Do we love the lost more now than we did before? And so we've been doing this series on growing of love. And you can get the other messages on our website. Go check it out, servantschurch.org.uk. And you can catch up on what those things are. Today, we want to talk about growing in love practically. And so I'm going to do a section, basically Romans chapter 9, verses 9 to 21, that really needs less explanation and needs more application. How do we actually do these things? What does it look like to love one another? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read a little section by section. We're going to do some explanation and some application And by the grace of God, hopefully we're going to walk in this stuff even today. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much that your desire is to meet us where we're at. And Lord, just with the many visitors today, Lord, they're probably thinking about uh, what's this church about and where are these guys coming from. And it's been a very busy Sunday. But Lord, I pray you'd help us to quiet our minds, to still our hearts, and to just engage with your word. We pray your Holy Spirit would teach us We pray, Lord, that we would understand what it is you're calling us to do. I pray, Lord, for every one of us here that are already Jesus followers. That, Lord, we would do the things that you've called us to do. Give us wisdom to do these things today, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, starts with this statement. Let love be without hypocrisy. I don't know about you, but the, 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 the critique thrown at me as a Christian, the thing that seems to be the biggest turnoff towards Christianity by non-believers has been, well, we see Christians as hypocrites. We see them as those who maybe talk a good talk, but don't always walk a good walk. And I'm definitely not here today to say to you, to somehow explain away the reality of that. I think there is a, there is a reality that I want to own up to, and there's a reality that I want to apologize for, if you're not a believer here today, that is at times, in fact, if we're honest, at all times, that we as Jesus followers fall short in following Jesus. In fact, when the Scripture makes this kind of command, when the Apostle Paul writes, this to the church in Rome, the fact that he has to say, let love be without hypocrisy, proves what? Hypocrisy is a temptation for everybody. 
And, and, I, and I want to be clear here. What, what Paul's talking about here is he's talking about the idea that when he says, let love be without hypocrisy, it doesn't just mean, um, you know, don't uh, say one thing and do something else. It means simply don't put on a mask. Don't act as if you're something you're not. And one of the things that I know that I have struggled with as a Christian, I've been a Christian now for almost 29 years, as a Christian, especially as somebody who did not grow up in the church, didn't step foot into a church until I was about 18. But when I, after I became a Christian, one of the things that was difficult was I, I started going to church and everyone at church was so nice. I mean, they were all so nice. These people never stopped smiling. In fact, it's interesting because a couple years before I became a Christian, I went to this, this thing that was called Campus Life. And it was an organization called Youth for Christ. And they would put on these events. And it was like this pool barbecue, barbecue thing I went to. And I knew the guy's house. So I went to this place. And I was basically just there to flirt with girls. But as we're there, we're eating burgers. And I'm flirting with girls. The guy, this guy that's there who would never stop smiling, he gets up and he starts talking about God and God's love for us. And I thought, that's weird. And the weirdest thing to me was the guy never stops smiling. I mean, I thought, does your face not hurt? And I think sometimes what happens is we think, as Christians, we think, I always have to put on this mask. Look at me. I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. Everything is wonderful. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Let love not be a mask that you put on. No, he wants us to understand, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to understand, that love is meant to flow from a changed heart. Paul says this about his own ministry in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6. It should be on the screen here if the screen can be working. But he said, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. And one of the things he says is, by sincere love. It's the same exact words in the Greek, by unhypocritical love. This is how he said, we commend ourselves. We actually love people. We're not just putting on a smiley face. Sometimes life is just stinking hard and we don't act like life isn't stinking hard. But we love people anyway. It's interesting because the scripture says in 1 John chapter 4, the apostle John, who talked more about love than anybody else, he says, we love him. It's interesting too because the word him is actually not in the original language. It's implied possibly, but it's not there. So it could read, we love because he first loved us. Simple little verse that that tells us something very profound, which is that we love, in other words, we love the way God loves because God first loves us. It's being loved that enables us to love. And so when Paul talks about let love be without hypocrisy, he's saying, listen, don't put on a mask. Don't just kind of try to look like you're loving be loving and be loving because you are so loved. In fact, the first 11 chapters of this book, the book of Romans, this letter that we're quoting from today, the first 11 chapters are Paul very systematically and carefully breaking down why we're so desperate for God's love and why we can know that we are loved. It basically explains the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And then we get to chapter 12. It's the therefore, it's that if we're this loved, Here's how we should be. So we're talking about here a love that flows from a changed heart. It's interesting because he goes on to say in verse 9, he says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. 
And those words, abhor and cling, those verbs are very emotive verbs. They're powerful sort of feeling words. Abhor. It means to completely detest. It's like, ugh. To cling means to kind of, you're holding on to someone for dear life. I'm not going to let you go. He's using this emotive language, and he's using this language on purpose because, listen, he's wanting his readers to understand that he's talking about something that, that should lead, that we should be living in such a way that leads that our hearts are connected. Do you know why we are called to hate? And I don't know if you knew this, but Christians are actually called to hate. We're called to abhor. Why would we be called to abhor something? Because we love something else. I love my wife. So I abhor when she gets chatted up. I love my children. So I abhor when I find out there's a pedophile that might live in my neighborhood. It's because we love that automatically love is expressed in in abhorring something else. And Paul, listen, is telling us that this love that he's calling us to show to one another to grow in is a love that so loves God and so loves others that we abhor anything that would bring death or destruction or damage to them. We abhor abhor it in our own life and we abhor it in theirs. This is why if you drop down to verse 21, Paul kind of ends the section by saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And let's be honest, especially those of us that are Jesus followers, the evil that is so overcoming to us is our own isn't it? It's the only evil that we see in ourselves. I know it is in my life. I I look at my life having been a Jesus follower for 29 years and I think, God, shouldn't I be more loving by now? Shouldn't I care more about people? Shouldn't I be more passionate about you, more committed in my life about you? I I should be, Lord, and I, I hate the fact that I'm not. But here's the great news. The great news is that even though I can't overcome that evil on my own, I can overcome my evil through God's good, specifically his good news, the gospel about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and is doing by his Holy Spirit in my life. He's teaching me. He, not it, not an idea, but he, the person, is teaching me to love. And I have hope that even though evil seems to still be present in my life, that evil will be overcome by the goods that God is doing by His Holy Spirit. So this love we're talking about, growing in love practically, it really is about love from a changed heart. So even before we get into the nitty-gritty of the practicality, we need to be reminded, listen, it's got to come from that. And we've got to be honest about it. We need to be honest about our lovelessness. Now, I'm not saying that you should go to somebody and say, you know, I just want to be honest, I don't like you at all. That's not necessarily helpful, Okay? But I think we can be honest. Listen, I think we can be honest before God and even before each other that we're really struggling. Do you know why, how I fell in love with my wife, Sarah? Because I admitted to my roommate, Mark, at the time that I couldn't stand her. We were doing youth ministry together and Sarah got on my nerves. She just, she just annoyed me like crazy. I know you're thinking, John, you're clearly the more annoying one, and I am, but still, that's how I felt. And I was so annoyed that I told my roommate, man, this is really bad I can't stand this person. We work together in youth ministry and she annoys me. Can we, can we, can we pray? Because I really don't, it's the wrong, I have the wrong heart towards her. So we prayed and God changed my heart pretty radically. <laughs> 25 years later, second best decision I ever made. So the, here's, here's the reality, guys. We need to be honest about our lovelessness if we're going to grow in love. 
We've got to stop putting on a mask and just trying to be nice people. God's not interested in making nice people. He makes new people. He transforms us from the inside out. Now, so it's love that comes from this changed heart. In fact, let me just read these verses before I move on to the next point. John says, again, in 1 John chapter 3, he says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, let's invest, let's do the things that, that require, that will knit our hearts to each other. In fact, Jesus says this, listen, uh, he says, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the context, he's talking about material treasure, but I think the principle applies. Where we invest, listen, where we invest our heart links to. He doesn't say that you invest where your heart is linked. He says where you invest, there your heart links. The reason I love my children more now than I did when they were first born is because it's been a lot of investment in their lives. The reason I love my wife more now than I did 25 years ago is because there's been a lot of investment. The reason I love you guys at Servant Church more is because there's been a lot of investment. Investment grows love. And so when he talks about abhorring what is evil, clinging to what is good, he's talking about, listen, invest what's good into these kinds of relationships and see your hearts link. I hear from time to time people saying, you know, Servant Church is fine, you know, I, I like it, but I just, you know... I just, I don't know, I just don't feel like I'm a part. Okay, so have you joined a small group? Well, no. Have you ever asked anybody to pray for you? Well, no. Do you serve in any ministry? Well, no. Hmm, so you, do, you bring no investment and you wonder why you don't feel connected to Servants Church. Interesting. Isn't that what happens? Now listen, maybe you, don't, you can't join a small group. Maybe your circumstances mean you can't bring that kind of practical investment. But you can still let people know you are. I'm so excited about what the ladies' ministry is doing using WhatsApp. How Sarah's encouraging the ladies. They've already were doing this anyway, but she's kind of trying to make this spread across the church where the ladies are all kind of putting into these small groups together via WhatsApp so they can pray for each other and encourage each other through that. It's a great thing to do. Guys, we're kind of weird about stuff like that. We don't do that stuff as, as easily. But still, this is that idea of investing time and into each other. That's clinging to what is good. So quickly moving on. We're not just talking about loving practically. is isn't just love that flows from a chain chart. But listen, it's love that prioritizes God's people. And I need to now specifically focus on those of you who are Jesus followers. And I don't mean this to be disrespectful if you're not that yet. But please just follow on with me if you're not that yet so you know where we're coming from. Paul writes, verse 10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. I love this, this idea of kindly affectionate. That, that God calls us as Jesus followers to actually be affectionate to each other. That's going to be expressed differently by different personalities and different cultures. But the scripture commands several times in the New Testament to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to kiss each other. Don't worry. Don't get freaked out. I'm not going to kiss you today, okay? Unless you want me to. Um, but we're talking about that there should be an affection. We shouldn't be afraid of touch. We shouldn't be afraid to love each other. We shouldn't be afraid to say that we love each other. There should be an affection that happens between us. But specifically, listen, he says, he writes um, that this should be done in, in, in a way that we are uh, with, we are having brotherly love, we're seeing each other as family, but also in honor we're giving preference to one another. And the idea there is that we're putting somebody else's needs before our own. That we're the one who's kind of taking the initiative to do this. So you could really say that this kind of love is being expressed in affectionate service. 
that we're not just kind of simply doing nice things for each other, but we're doing that because we care. I remember when my wife Sarah and I, we, we, we moved over here, uh, moved to England uh, back in 2003, and the first kind of ministry that we were doing in London was working with university students from Kingston University. Mostly students that were, happened to, most of them happened to be American, it just kind of happened that way, and uh, most of them completely unchurched, and we were just feeding these guys, cooking them meals, and then they would just grill us with a whole bunch of heavy questions about God and life and everything else. And so I remember one time we were, we were prepping dinner and, and I could feel myself smiling. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? When you're not really conversing with somebody, but you just, you, can, you know that what you're feeling is a good thing and you're feeling yourself smile. You guys know what I'm talking about? And I could feel myself smile as I'm cutting up vegetables and I look over and there's Sarah, she's smiling big. We're those goofy Christians, I guess we can't stop smiling. And we're both smiling big and I looked over and I said, isn't this awesome we get to do this? And she's like, yeah, this is so great. And it was just we loved these students and we're so glad to have the opportunity to, to cook them dinner and to answer their questions. It was glorious. That's affectionate service. It's service that flows. It's, it's, it says, I want to do what's best for you because of this love that God has produced in me, that God has given to me and is now giving me toward you. But also, listen, he says, in verse 11, we should not be lagging in diligence, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That, that phrase, not lagging in diligence, and the other phrase, fervent in, in, in spirit, they have a direct application to the workplace, and that's such an important topic that we're going to look at that next month. Growing in love at work, that's next month. But he says, listen, we should, verse 12, be rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Now remember... These are corporate commands. He's saying we want the love of God to be expressed corporately and practically. And so what he means here is this. He's saying, listen, as believers, you should be those who find joy because you have hope. You have an expectation of good for the future. That's what hope is. So you should be people that are rejoicing with each other. But also, listen, you are those, as Jesus followers, who are going to go through difficulties. Jesus promised everyone who followed him is going to suffer. He made that promise. Life's difficult for, for most people in some ways, but also as Jesus followers specifically, there's a difficulty of being marginalized in culture often, not always, but often. There's a difficulty of having to put God's will before your own. There's a difficulty of having to love other people when you want to love yourself. These are all hard things. You go through difficult things. Guess what? We need to be enduring in those things. How do we do that? How do we rejoice and endure? He says it right there. Continuing, what does he say? I lost it. Where is it? There it is, verse, <laughs> verse 12. He says, continuing steadfastly in prayer. We pray. We go to God. We seek God together. See, that's what prayer is. Prayer, listen, is expressing our trust in God. God, we trust you, therefore we're going to ask for your intervention. And we're going to thank you that you have intervened. That's what music is. The reason we, we give a big place to music is that we want us, we want to be able to connect emotionally to the truth that we believe. We believe God is who's revealed himself to be in Jesus. And so we want to worship him through music, expressing with our emotions and our hearts how good God is and how trustworthy he is. That's, it's prayer set to song. That's what worship is. And so this is, this is the thing. Love prioritizes God's people because it realizes that, look, we gotta, we're in this together. 
that, that our tribulations are common because of our common faith. And our joy, our hope is common because of our common faith. So let's come together and seek after our common God. Also, he says in verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints. That doesn't mean statues that we bow down to. The idea of saints in the New Testament is very clearly those that God has set apart as his own. In other words, believers. Saints is a generic term for those who put their faith in Jesus. It's not for people that are holier than other people. Not biblically. So he's saying, when he says, listen, Giving, given to the needs of the saints, he's talking about practically. In fact, it says given to hospitality. The word hospitality means loving strangers. And in a first century context, because Christians were persecuted when they had to travel, it was hard for them to find a place to stay. And so you know where they go? They go to a local church and say, we're believers in Jesus. Does anybody have a piece of floor we can sleep on? And so they were called to say, yeah, come to our house. We don't know who you are, but we're going to love you like family. We're, gonna, we're going to sacrifice our material uh, goods for your benefit. And that commitment, listen, that commitment is meant to be specifically channeled and, uh, towards believers, other believers. This is biblical. I know we'd rather talk about love and just say, let's just love everybody. And we do need to love everybody. But listen, as Jesus followers, we're called specifically to be committed to love other Jesus followers. I know I've been commit, convicted about this this week because though I really enjoy the love that I get from you guys and I like it's easy, pretty easy for me to love you guys, I was convicted about not loving other believers in other churches, saying things about other churches flippantly that I have no business saying. And I was really convicted about that. There should be a specific commitment that we have to each other as Jesus followers. Listen, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 12. I'm almost done. He says, well, it says, while Jesus was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to Jesus, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But Jesus answered and said to the, the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his, his hand towards the disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother or is my brother and my sisters and my mother. Now Jesus' ministry was marked, listen, was marked by reaching out beyond the, beyond the Jewish community. People were blown away by the fact that he did that. But he had a specific commitment to those that were God's people specifically to his disciples. This is what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter six when he writes, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, that's all people, but notice especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, for the sake of time, the last point I wanted to make today was that not only does love flow from a changed heart and does it prioritize God's people, but also love pursues reconciliation. And I just want to read these verses quickly and then make a quick comment and then close us in prayer because we're running out of time. But listen, here's what he says, verses 14. I'm going to just read these verses quickly, 14 and 20. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless those, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Notice he's talking about how we relate to those who would persecute us. That we would listen, we would have sympathy for our enemies. He says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set 
your, your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. In other words, be humble about your perspectives. And then he says, listen, verse 18, For if it is possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. This is, he's writing to people who are being persecuted for their faith. He says, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Therefore, here's what you do instead. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will keep coals of fire on his head. Do you know what that's talking about? He quotes two verses there. One he quotes is Deuteronomy chapter 32. The other he quotes is Proverbs chapter 25. And what he's talking about there is this this mindset that God calls all his people to have, which is this. Listen, you need to expect to be persecuted. You need to expect that people aren't going to like you. They're going to think you're a nut job. They're going to think you're dangerous. They're not going to respect what you do. That's going to happen sometimes. And guess what? Those are the people I call you to love, to seek reconciliation for. Why? We're called to love those people because, listen, we're trusting God to bring justice. We're trusting that God is the judge, not us. It's a sobering thing to think about. The scripture says this. In 1 Thessalonians, did I write it down? Yes, I did. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says this. He will punish those, this is speaking of Jesus. Jesus will punish those who do not know God, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the day, from the glory of his might. That's what the scripture says. Now, we read that and we don't rejoice. We read that and we say, Lord, you're the one that does it, not us. And this is why Paul writes this. Paul, who wrote that, those words there, also writes this. He says, listen, therefore, because people are going to hate you, because people are going to be heaping up wrath for themselves against God by persecuting his people. Listen, here's how you should respond. You should respond the way God responded to you when you were his enemy. You should love them. Because you don't want them to be God's enemy. You want them to be God's friend. This is what Jesus says. And I'll close with this verse. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brethren only, what do you uh, do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. 